There are many urban legends out there surrounding creepy and crawly things. I recently heard a story while I was down at a conference about a woman who had a terrifying thing happen to her that just freaked me out when I heard about it. It was a girl in South Carolina who went into her bathroom to take a bath, and when she pulled back the shower curtain to start to fill up the tub, in her bathtub was an eight-foot-long snake that had literally slithered up her drain pipe and into her tub. Some of you are freaking out right now. I totally get that. Luckily, she saw the snake and ran out of her bathroom screaming and got some help. But what if, just what if, when she had pulled back the curtain, the snake was kind of hidden in the corner a little bit? And maybe she was distracted and didn't notice it. And what if she had started to fill the tub with water for her bath and maybe added some bubbles and the snake became hidden under the water and under all the bubbles? And what if she then placed her foot in the water and with the temperature feeling just right, she went ahead and got in and laid down in the tub, her body fully exposed with a snake. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I hate snakes. <laughs> I mean, they are right up there with spiders and cats for me, okay? And um, luckily for this woman, um, they got some help and they killed that snake. Some of you are like, uh, poor snake, they should have released it. No, no, they shouldn't have. <laughs> if an eight-foot snake rolls up into my house, I'm calling some of you guys who have firearms that I know of, and we're going to do a funeral service right there, and I'm going to walk out with snakeskin boots. That's what's going to happen, because pastor don't play that, okay? Um, but while that urban legend might freak us out a little bit, and, and some of us might go home tonight and we're going to pull back the shower curtain and we're going to check uh, in our bathtub. The church, in many cases, is guilty of something similar to that. The Bible says that the first time that Satan appeared to people, he did so in the form of a what? A snake. And his weapon, the weapon that he chose to attack us with, was a lie. The Bible says this about him in John 8, 44. It says this. It says that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. And see, see for too long, I think the church has exposed itself to the lies of Satan. And, and because of that, We've been bitten and we've been harmed many, many times over the years. So today, we're starting a short series. We're, we're starting kind of a three-week series um, around kind of this Halloween, fall season, where we're going to be looking at urban legends in the church, those little lies that many non-church people and even many church people, people who call themselves followers of Jesus, often believe. And some of these are going to surprise you, especially if you are a church person, because maybe you heard a pastor say one of these things. Maybe you heard your Sunday school teacher growing up 
say one of these things. And, and they meant well. They meant well. And so my goal in this series over the next couple weeks is to expose some of these urban legends so we don't fall into some of those big traps that many, many people have fallen into. And so instead of getting bitten, we can step into the greater things and the greater story that God has for us. Now, now today, we're going to begin with a very, very common spiritual urban legend. If you have your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, um, today we're going to be looking at a story found in the book of Second Chronicles, not a place we often visit, but go ahead. Uh, if you want to bookmark it, you can. Second Chronicles is where we're going to hang out today. Before we get there, let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you've ever felt overwhelmed with life, like you were so stressed out, you just had so much stuff going on, and you just felt like you just couldn't handle it, too much stuff going on. Raise your hand, raise it up high if you've ever felt that way. High, 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 look around, look around, look around, look around, look around. Okay, you can put your hands down. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying in church this morning, okay? And if you're here today, and maybe that's the way you're feeling right now. Maybe, maybe you walked in today and you're feeling overwhelmed, Maybe you're feeling like you are at the tipping point where just one more thing is going to send you, you know, to the crazy bin. Then perhaps, just perhaps, you're exactly where you need to be this morning. And this message is going to speak directly to you. Because here is the first urban legend that we're going to look at in this series. Urban legend number one, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. Doesn't that sound beautiful? <laughs> Doesn't that sound wonderful? It sounds like it should be on a Hallmark card, right? With a picture of a deer drinking out of a pond and butterflies in the background. God will never give you more than you can handle. We've probably all heard somebody say this before. As soon as someone starts feeling overwhelmed in life, some well-meaning Christian comes along and says, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. You can do it. Remember, God will never give you more than you can handle. And it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. There's just one little problem with it. The problem is, it's a spiritual myth. It's an urban legend. So where does this wrong belief come from? Well, chances are good that most people are actually misquoting another important verse from Scripture found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And this is a passage where the Apostle Paul is doing a teaching, and he says this about God in this passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is what Paul says. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be, what's the next word, church? Tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are, what? Tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Scripture says God will never, never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. No matter what temptation Satan throws your way to get you to fall and stumble into the pit of sin and take you out of the will of God and destroy your life, God will always give you an escape route. God is faithful. What the Apostle Paul is teaching is that you will never face a temptation in life where you just have to give in to, where you have to say, oh, I, I have no choice. So nobody will one day stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and, and God will say, why did you have an affair 
on your spouse for all those years, and they'll be like, sorry about that, God. Um, I just had to. I didn't have a choice. No. However, the Bible doesn't say that life will be all roses and butterflies. God will often allow you to face more than you can handle. Now, why would he do this, you might ask? Well, because often through those seasons of life, through those storms of life, through those experiences of life, he begins to teach us to depend on something other than ourselves. See, the, the urban legend that God will never give you more than you can handle basically says, if you just try harder, you can do it. But the truth is, God may allow us to face more than we can handle so that we'll learn to start to depend on other people, and ultimately, and most importantly, so that we'll learn to depend on God's strength and not just on ours alone. In fact, check out the words of the Apostle Paul written to the same church in 2 Corinthians 1.8. Here's what Paul says. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is the same guy, the Apostle Paul. And remember, he met the resurrected Jesus. I mean, this is Paul who is like a masterful church planter who planted like more churches than anybody, you know, in ancient times. This is the same Apostle Paul who wrote much of our New Testament, but he writes that he was facing some storms in life that were so hard and so heavy and crushed him so much that he got to the point where he hated life and wished he was dead. And, and then he writes this. Then he writes this in verse 9. He said, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on who? But on God who raises the dead. The Apostle Paul said the reason that God allowed us to face these storms and these trials in life, the reason that God allowed us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death is so that we would recognize that he truly is the author of life, the one who can even resurrect the dead. The reason that we were allowed to be overwhelmed is so we would realize that God is bigger than our situation or any situation we will ever face, any storm we will ever face in life, and that even though we're feeling overwhelmed, our God is never overwhelmed. And so the truth that I want you to grasp today, if you only get one thing out of this message today, this is our bottom line. This is kind of our, our one big truth for today's message, and it's simply this, that God, that God will, will often put more on us than we can handle. So we'll stop depending solely on our own strength and instead become desperate for his. That God will often put more on us than we can handle, so we'll stop trying to depend solely on our own strength and instead that we will become desperate for his. And, and some of you in here, maybe you need to hear this message today because somebody walked in this room today about to give up. Somebody tuned in online this morning about to give up on a marriage. Somebody walked in here depressed and exhausted 
and maybe thinking about quitting on life. And my prayer for all of you all week long has been that Jesus Christ would fill you with hope and fill you with him. Some of you in here need to begin a relationship with Jesus. That's what you need in life. But whether or not that's you today, here's the one thing I know about every single person here today. About you, about me, about all of us. Here's the one thing I know. You're either in a storm, you've either just come through a storm, or either you have a storm waiting for you around the corner. We will all face storms in life. It is the reality of life. So today we're going to unpack this truth in three parts. We're going to unpack it in three parts. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Part number one is this. Number one, the problem. The problem. Because pretty much everybody in this room has got a problem. Some of you are sitting next to your problem. Some of you left your problem at home sitting on the couch. Some of you dealt with your problem the entire car ride here and you dropped them off at children's ministry, okay? We all have a problem, amen? Don't amen too loudly if they're actually sitting next to you. But everybody has a problem. And in today's story, we're gonna look at a guy who had a really, really big problem. And again, it's found in 2 Chronicles, where we're gonna hang out today, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But before we unpack the story, let me give you a little historical background first. After King David's son, who was considered like the wisest king who ever lived, his name was, you guys remember, King Solomon, that's right. After King Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms. And so there was a northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel, and then there was a southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Now, the northern kingdom, Israel, wound up having bad king after bad king after bad king, and they quickly drifted from God and fell into idolatry, into idol worship. But the southern kingdom, Judah, um, actually had some good kings. And one of those good kings was named Asa. And, and he had a son who he named Jehoshaphat. No kidding, he really named his son that, okay? Now, we don't know if he was fat, but he probably heard a lot of fat jokes growing up. And like his father Asa, the Bible says Jehoshaphat was a pretty good king. Like, he actually loved God. And he worked very hard to kind of get rid of idolatry and idol worship in their culture. He wasn't perfect. He did make some big blunders. He formed some alliances with some ungodly people that kind of blew up in his face. But even after those mistakes... In 2 Chronicles 19, Scripture tells us he still had a heart for God. This was a good king who did some good things. But then this happens in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Meunites who had mosquito bites and liked to watch ultimate fights late at night, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now, this was a big problem. God had protected Jehoshaphat and his kingdom for a long time. But now, out of nowhere, he discovers that an immense army, armies, are on their way marching against him. And he is completely, completely taken by surprise. 
And if you're here today and you've faced a problem in your life or you're facing a problem in your life, more than likely it hit you out of nowhere. Like we don't plan our problems, right? Like you probably never had this conversation. Hey, you want to do lunch next Tuesday? Mm, let me check my schedule. Actually, I can't do Tuesday. I'm planning on having a car accident that morning. Can we meet on Friday at the hospital, right? Like, you've never had that conversation. We don't plan problems. The, the other day, I was watching um, television in bed, and all of a sudden, I got hit in the face with a water bottle. Like a full Poland Springs water bottle came flying out of the air and cracked me upside my head, and I was stunned for a moment. I was in pain. I was stunned for a moment. And immediately I looked around to see who threw it. And my three-year-old son, Lincoln, is standing there, staring at me, going, so I punched him in his throat. No, I didn't do that. It was actually Julie who threw it at me. Just kidding. But that's how problems are. They just, they just come out of nowhere. And this is what happened to Jehoshaphat. He never saw this coming. Verse 2. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, there is a vast army coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar. They were like, sorry to tell you this, king, but there is a gigantic army coming to attack us. Really? Well, where are they? Well, you're not going to like this. We just tracked them on Google Maps. They're in our backyard. That means we don't have time to prepare. We don't have time to gather an army. We don't have time to formulate a battle plan, to train people. Basically, King Jehoshaphat, we're out of luck. We're in trouble with a capital T. Story goes on, verse 3. Alarmed, which is the Hebrew word for poop in your pants, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. He said, we, we got we to gotta pray, we got to fast, which is really kind of funny because in, in those times, like a spiritual fast was something the community was meant to do for like several days, okay? That's what a spiritual fast was. They didn't have several days. This was happening really, really quickly. So this was like a fast fast that they decided to do. They sent people out, messengers, to all the KFCs, and they were like, put the chicken down. We all need to pray immediately right now. The Bible's funny. You ought to read it. Verse 4. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So all the people gather together, and they all start to pray. And Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, also prays before all the people. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through the entire prayer, but his prayer directly hits on what we're talking about this morning, and it blows like this spiritual urban legend that God will never give you more than you can handle. It blows it completely out of the water. Catch the end of this prayer, picking up in verse 12. Here's what it says. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. 
but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat, the most powerful man in the kingdom of Judah, said, God, I can't handle this. God, there is a storm that is coming, and it is coming too fast, and I don't have the power to overcome this. And maybe for some of you who are in a storm today, God is trying to get your attention. And he's trying to say, instead of carrying all this on your back and saying, I can handle it, maybe the godliest thing that you could do today is to just tell God, God, I can't handle it. And I need your help. Here we see King Jehoshaphat saying, God, I don't know what to do. And so I'm looking to you. I'm looking for help. And God brought him to the place where he could no longer boast on his own effort and his own strength, but he had to become desperate for God and for God's strength. Some of us need to stop trying to control everything in our own strength, and we need to fall on our knees, and we need to turn to God, and we need to start relying on his strength. See, church, God will sometimes give you more than you can handle. And the reason is not because you weren't praying enough or you're not good enough. Some churches have taught that. You know, if you don't drink and smoke and chew and you don't go with girls that do, you know, your life will be problem-free. That's a lie. It's a lie. Good people, godly people face storms in life all the time. All the time. Just look at scripture. Look at Jesus. He was sinless. He didn't do anything wrong. He had to face the cross. The Apostle Paul, again, we just talked about him, planted churches everywhere, met the resurrected Jesus, wrote much of our New Testament. He was beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and ultimately beheaded by Emperor Nero. I'm not here today to tell you that your life will be problem-free if you love Jesus. It might get worse. It might get worse. Sometimes the greatest spiritual attacks against us happen when we try to make a life change and start walking in the will of God. Some of you today are trying to walk with God, maybe for the first time, and you feel beaten and broken and in despair. You feel like giving up on life and you wonder if God's given up on you. Actually, he hasn't. He hasn't. In fact, he brought you here today, and he's telling you today, don't you dare give up on the God who will never give up on you. So number one, we all face problems. Number two is this, the solution. The solution. Um, seven years ago, I went on a mission trip to uh, Kenya, Africa, and while I was excited to go and I really believed and felt like God was calling me to go, I was also scared. It was a foreign country that is not as developed as ours. Um, I had to get vaccinations for all types of potential illnesses and malaria and all this kind of stuff. And I don't like needles. I don't like flying either. I've had ear issues since I was a real little kid and ear pressure on planes, like that pressure, it like hurts and it bothers me a lot. Um, I don't like plane crashes. 
We're talking about urban legends. I don't like things disappearing over the Bermuda Triangle as you fly across the Atlantic Ocean, right? I had fears about my wife and I leaving our small children, okay? And as we got to the airport, I was still processing a lot of these feelings, and I sat down in the terminal, and you know in the airport terminals, they always have the TVs with the news on, and um, I was watching the news, and this is the big headline that appeared on the news right here. <laughs> and I thought to myself, dear God, just kill me now, okay? That was the thought that went through my mind. But I refuse to let fear stop me from being obedient to God. And I got on that flight. See, here's the solution for those of you who feel paralyzed by your problems. You gotta get on the flight. You gotta keep moving forward. You gotta keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And guess what? The flight may get bumpy. You may be scared. But if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, he will get you where you need to go. King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah decided to keep their eyes on God. And check out what happened. Verse 13. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Zechariah. Okay? It's a little off topic, but I just want to point out that the people of Judah made a decision to prioritize God. I think too often in our culture, we tend to prioritize lots of different things in our families. We prioritize athletics, and we prioritize education, and we prioritize extracurricular activities, and we make church and God just one other thing to make sure our family is balanced. And while sports and school and dance and all of that are great things, I'm not knocking those things, a hundred years from now, it won't matter if your kid could hit a curveball. It just won't. It won't matter a hundred years from now if they want a trophy. A hundred years from now, what's going to matter most is did they know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And in this life, What's going to matter most is their character, their love for God. For them, one, one day being able to say, I do to their spouse and mean it for a lifetime. God shouldn't just be another thing on the plate for your busy family. It should be the priority. The people of Judah decided to make it a priority, and then God spoke to them. Verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. God says to the people, listen, don't be afraid or discouraged. I want to speak to you through your fear and through your pain right now. For some of you here today, God is saying that to you. He's saying, listen to me. Let your fear, let your anxiety, let your pain be the megaphone through which you're able to hear my voice because I'm bigger than your problems. For some of you, you just need to claim that truth in your life. You might need to memorize the end of that verse right there. For the battle is not yours, 
but God's. And you just might need to substitute whatever your problem is where it says the word battle during your prayer time when you say that verse. For this fight with cancer is not mine, but God's. For this broken marriage is not mine, but God's. For this financial struggle or crisis is not mine, but God's. For this wayward prodigal child is not mine, but God's. And when you realize that the battle is God's and you're able to release it to him, you are going to start to be able to live with incredible peace in your life and trust him even when facing death because you know that even if you're not in control, he's in control and that he loves you. Continuing in verse 16, tomorrow march down against them. But God, hold on a minute. I know you're God and everything, and you're, you know, all-knowing and all-powerful and all, everything like that, but I think you might have missed something here. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. They could crush us like a bug. And God's like, yeah, I know. But remember, the battle is not yours. It's mine. Verse 17. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat tells the people, okay, let's do this. Let's march into battle. Well, king, do we have an army that can match them? Nope. Do we have a brilliant strategy to surprise them? No time for a battle plan. So this is a suicide mission. We're the suicide squad. No. The battle belongs to God. He's got this. Verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Now, now check this out as, as we start to kind of wind down and wrap up our time today. This is one of the craziest endings and stories in the Bible, picking up in verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness, and he put them out at the head of the army. So the generals come, and they, they have this strategy meeting, this quick strategy meeting with King Jehoshaphat as the army prepares to march. And they're like, so what's our plan, King? Should we put the archers out in front, and we'll just rain down arrows at our enemies as we kind of move towards the battlefield? And the king's like, no, no, not the archers. Well, well then should we put the cavalry out front? We'll just have them ride into battle on horses and just kind of trample people and, and kind of do that and push the enemy lines back. King's like, nah, we're not going to do that either. What about our best warriors? Let's send like our best warriors to the front lines. It'll be like the 300 Spartans, and we'll take down as many as we possibly can with us. The king's like, nah, I got a better idea. Let's put Jim Briggs and the worship team out front. And the generals are like, come again? King, I, I know the worship team had some tech issues in the service this morning. 
but don't you think executing them is a little bit harsh? We should put out the warriors. And the king is like, the worship team are the warriors. King, have you seen the worship team? I mean, look at them. I mean, Wendy looks like she can fight. She's got boots on. The rest of them, they got skinny jeans and scarfs, okay? They're going to get killed. And then this is what they sang, verse 21. They sang, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. I would not have sung that. I would have sung, dear God, save us. <laughs> Protect us. That's what I would have sung. But they gave thanks to God. See, anybody can raise their hand and worship God when life is going good, right? But can you raise your hand and worship God when you're staring death in the face? What incredible faith. And then it goes on. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. So as this little army from Judah, led by a worship team, approaches the battle zone, singing a song, the massive armies in front of them start fighting one another and get completely destroyed. And God wins the battle. Verse 23. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir and to destroy and annihilate them. After they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So what's the solution today? It's to realize that sometimes God will give us more than we can handle because he wants us to recognize our need for him. So no matter where you are in life, no matter what storm you're going through, you need to realize the battle is not yours. It's God's. And when you feel overwhelmed, when it feels like the water is just rising over your head and you feel like you don't have any control, remember the one who is in control. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who cares. He's the one who walks with you through every storm of life. And you can lay your problems at his feet and praise him even through the storm. God, I don't know how this is going to end, but I'm going to praise you. I might lose my job, but I'm going to keep praising you. God, this cancer might eventually take my life, but it will take me to you, and my eyes are going to be on you praising your name. That's how you truly overcome fear and anxiety and problems in life. You keep your eyes on Jesus, and you don't give up on the God who will never give up on you. Last one, and then we'll end today. Number three, the decision. The decision. Some of us need to make a decision today. And that decision is, God, I can't handle this anymore, but I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose to put my faith in you. I'm going to choose to praise your name regardless of what may happen in life. 
as I was preparing this sermon, I started thinking about times in my life when I faced decisions like this. And one time that really stood out in my mind um, was almost exactly nine years ago in October when my son Jace, who's 11 now, he was two years old at the time, he nearly died with an acute attack of appendicitis when his appendix ruptured. And I remember his fever being so high and him losing all color and my wife and I pleading at the hospital with doctors and with nurses for answers. And finally, the specialist came to us and he said, we have never seen a case of appendicitis in somebody this little before. We don't know. We can't say for sure if he's gonna be okay. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had a moment in life like that, but I just remember my whole world just coming to a stop. What do you do in a moment like that? Does faith just, just fall away? So my wife, Julie, and I, standing by his hospital bed, watching our little boy, literally fighting for his life, we prayed. And I don't even remember exactly what I prayed, but I remember the Lord speaking to my heart and asking this question, are you gonna trust me now? As a teenager, you trusted me with your life. And you trusted me with your dating relationship. You trusted me in your marriage. You trusted me with a calling to become a pastor, to go out on faith and plant a church. But now, with your little boy's life up in the air, do you still trust me? And I remember me thinking, God, this is more than I can take. This is more than I can handle. I don't know what I'm going to do if I lose him. But God, I trust you. And I will worship you if he's healthy and survives and outlives me for years and years. But I will also worship you if you choose to take him. And you are still good, still God, even if I don't understand. And it wasn't an easy prayer. But all of a sudden, it left me with an incredible peace even in the midst of feeling like I was drowning in an ocean. And again, some of us, maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the day that you need to make the decision that God, I can't handle this anymore, but I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to move my faith off of me and myself and my control, and I'm choosing to place it onto you. And so as we close this service and as we end today, I just want to give you that opportunity. So will, will you pray with me with, with heads bowed and eyes closed? Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, I, I know a message like this is going to land in so many different places with so many different people in the room, different life situations, different circumstances, different storms. The first thing I, I want to say, if, if there's a person in here this morning or watching online right now, and they would say, you know what, God, I, I'm facing a storm right now. And I just, God, I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I have the strength. God, I need you. 
I need you. I can't do this alone. And so that's you this morning, and, and you just want to acknowledge that, and you just want to say, God, I just need you. Would you just have five seconds of incredible courage, and we just lift a hand right now and just say, God, that's me. I know you see me. Just lift your hand up high. He sees you. He knows. God, I need you in my life right now. Praise God. Praise God. I see several people this morning. He sees you. He cares. God, I just pray right now for those individuals who just said, I got something going on in my life. I got a storm going on, health situation, family situation, work situation, school situation, whatever it might be. God, I just pray that in, in, in the, the moments, in the hours, in the days, in the weeks ahead, God, that they will feel your presence in such incredible, powerful, undeniable ways that they can only point to you and give you the glory for what you're going to do in those situations. God, we thank you in advance for what you're doing. And we're going to lay those burdens at your feet. For others of us in the room right now, maybe we've just been going through life trying to do it on our own for so long. Trying to hold the reins of control for so long. And today's the day. Today's the day where, you, God, you're just banging on our heart. And you're saying, you don't have to do this anymore. You, you can put that in my hands. That I'm your heavenly father. I love you. I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. To pay the price for all of your sins, for all of your wrongs. So that you could have a greater story, a greater life. That you can have a personal relationship with me, your Heavenly Father, and that you can have eternity. And so there's someone here this morning who would say, that's something I need in my life. That I'm ready to move my faith off of myself and place that on God. That I am ready today. Say, God, I need you in my life. I'm ready to receive the gift that you've given of your son, Jesus. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. God, I love you. I need you. If, you, if that's you this morning, I just, again, I want you to have some incredible courage this morning. And as an act of faith, just to lift your hand right now and say, God, that's me. I'm making that decision today. Lift your hand up high. And again, I believe this is the greatest decision you can ever make in your entire life. And so I want to give you the opportunity. If there's anyone here right now and you need Jesus in your life, I ask one last time, would you lift a hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? I need Jesus. Praise God. I see that. pray together, church. And that's you, you. You can pray. There's nothing magical about this prayer, but it's, it's, it's a simply way to acknowledge what God is speaking right now to your heart, to your mind. For Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being the God who will never give up on me. Today on October 30th, 2022, I'm making a decision to move my faith off of myself 
what I've done and to place it onto my Savior Jesus, what he's done for me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he, he died on a cross willingly to pay for all of my sins so that I could have a relationship with you, my God, forever. God, thank you for loving me like that. Thank you for Jesus. God, help me today to turn from my old life and to step into a new life and a new story with you. I don't know how that's going to look like, God. But I'm willing to walk day by day, step by step, in a relationship with you for the rest of my life. God, I love you. I give you control. Pray this today. Amen. Church, can we celebrate decisions made today? Praise God. Praise God. As the worship team leads us, let's stand and let's sing together. Again, the altars are open. If, if you need to come forward, if you need to pray, if there are things that you need to kind of work out between you and the Lord, you're welcome to do so. Sing this with me.
heaven be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you he is in you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening when you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing he is for you 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 such a faith 
such a peace, such a joy as we daily walk with you that we will trust. No matter what happens, Lord, you are with us. You are for us. You go before us. You come beside us. And Lord, now as we walk out of here this, this moment and into our week, let us hold to you knowing no matter what, the battle belongs to the Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Have a great week, everyone. God bless you all. Enjoy this beautiful fall day. Oh.